All right. The much anticipated return of the Shorts and Goggles podcast, RJ Liggins and Kevin Reed. We're back with you. We promised after our March Madness podcast that there's an 80% chance, no matter how raw we were in our predictions, that we'd be back and record a podcast. And we were so unbelievably wrong in everything that uh, we had to take a little bit of a hiatus. But uh, we are back. We're here to talk a lot about a couple different topics. Um, we're going to have a little little book club, if you will, talking about the book The Soul of Basketball by Ian Thompson and how it relates to uh, the anniversary, the eight-year anniversary of LeBron's decision, which, again, will transition into his latest decision to go to L.A. This is a hell of an intro. Kevin, I'm hyped. I'm pumped. What's, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Happy decision anniversary, sir. Yep, let's go. The, the book itself, and it's The Soul of Basketball by Ian Thompson, gives us a good chance to um, because what's old is new, and 2010, and the story of 2010, seems to be coming back around. In 2018, I feel like in the NBA is going to be a year of impact, similar to what 2010 was on the league. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at the impact that 2010 had, and then eventually we'll get to 2018 and have some thoughts about what we've seen over the last month in terms of free agency and where we think things could happen going forward. Exactly. Um, definitely, I agree with it. It took, it's funny, it took reading this book for me to realize and kind of remember, I guess, like uh, re, reinvigorate my memory on just how much of a watershed season 2010, 2011 was. Um, you got, the, there's so many changing of the guard, the way that free agents move. Um, it was a change of some dynasties. Um, you had the Lakers and the Celtics phasing out, and you had LeBron stepping into his own with the Heatles. It was a lot of different things going on. Um, even got guys like legacy-defining seasons with uh, Dirt and Whiskey winning a championship. So many things going on in that season. Where, where do we possibly start? I, I start with the players because for you know people of a certain age, especially us, we're in college in that summer, and I remember watching the. I remember watching the decision. I remember watching these finals. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the 2010 season, which ends with the seven-game finals with the the Lakers and the Celtics. Has a lot of players we grew up with, right. and a lot of the significant pieces: the Kobe's, the Garnets, the Pierces, the Ray Allens, are all guys we had grown up with. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me that. You know, yeah, Duncan show, Duncan is a major part of those Spurs teams in the next few years. And Dirk, who we'll get to extensively, is an older guy and was a major key in the next year. But this 20 team was almost like the last gasp of 1990s basketball in a way. Mm. And after this year, we start to see a lot of players who are, quite frankly, more of our peers yeah. than ones that we grew up looking with. So, like, the, the sort of, like, awe-inspiring reverence that I had for some of these guys – in subsequent years of following the NBA, I look at the players, I look at LeBron, I, I, I look at Durant, I look at Curry as much more of like a, a lateral way because they're really our age or just a few years above us or even now right. getting to the point where they're a few years under us. Right. So that, that, that to me was a, it was a big shift because the, the players involved, this is like their, the last foray into that. And I think kind of to build off of that too is it, it did seem like kind of the last gasp sort of in a, in a sense, but it was – when the finals wrapped up in 2010, you know, you didn't think that it was going to be over so soon with that era. You didn't think they were like those guys stuck around, you know, Yes, they, they stuck around. But as far as their impact of being 
Um, and the, the Celtics and the Lakers, they were still playoff contenders. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, they, uh, the Celtics pushed LeBron famously in that 2012 um, series where LeBron really, that's where he made the leap and he became the LeBron of, that we know today in that game six. Um, but, you know, the, the thing was is you didn't think Kobe Bryant was going anywhere. You didn't think that the Lakers were going anywhere. No. And, you know, as – the, they go into the next series or the next um, season against the Mavericks. They, all of a sudden, in one fell swoop, you know, Phil Jackson gets ushered out in a four-game sweep. Uh, Kobe is, like, the, for the first time ever looking old, looking like he's not going to be around for, for too much longer. And everything just changed so quickly. You had the rise of the thunder were starting to come, um, which is something that gets briefly brought up in the book is just the trio of Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. And you look at now, you know, that's three future MVPs, and they're all on the same team. But nobody nobody even saw that, I think, back then. But they saw, like, a super team on the rise. You know, you you didn't think the Celtics were going to go anywhere. You didn't think Doc was going to go anywhere. You didn't think that Dirk was going to be, you know, this um, all-time great player to the extent that he's become. And you assume that LeBron and D-Wade and Chris Bosh, they would still be playing together, you know, at this time. And... It's, it's kind of just crazy just how fast things switched in that one season. Well, it's the, it's the study of history. You, if, if you could predict things, then there'd be a lot more wealthy people. There'd be, we would have so many things dialed in. But a lot of the times with great shifts, whether it's in politics, whether it's in culture, and in this case in sports, it's not until you step away from it that you start to see like the, the evidence that's there. You're absolutely right. In 2010... I remember that summer, it was like Kobe or Derek Fisher was hosting Jim Rome's show on ESPN. Yeah. Derek Fisher was, and he had Kobe on as a guest. Jim Rome, yeah. Yeah. That's how, that's how long ago it was. This is yeah. crazy. And I remember watching this. Shout out to Trajan. I remember watching this mm-hmm. back at the spot, and we were hype about it because Kobe's talking about rolling it back. Yeah. And no, no shred of doubt in his mind about it. And it's even funnier, too, when you look at the way we talk about LeBron today. That same conversation, you know, this is championship number five. He's looking for his second three-peat. So he's basically doing the Jordan playbook, like to a T. Not only does he have a chance to tie Jordan with titles, but he can also hit two three-peats as well. Um, he was definitely the most revered player in the NBA at that time. He had the whole, like, the league was afraid of him and feared him. And I think... In a lot of ways, Kobe's success towards the end of the decade and how he rose to like this elevated level in people's minds just because he was winning titles, I think that plays a huge part in why LeBron... The recruiting of LeBron was, was something that I found interesting in this book and how Pat Riley was able to get LeBron James because, and, and check me on this, RJ, but it seemed like Pat was the only guy who played the right cards with recruiting LeBron and didn't try to go money didn't try mm-hmm. to go like image popularity etc he kind of sold LeBron on this very old school um, method of like hey it's going to be tough it's going to be difficult but literally I'm going to put my rings on the table for you mm-hmm. and we'll be able to get it done yeah it was <clears throat> almost Machiavellian in a sense the way he went about it and and Pat Riley's presence in this book, too, cannot be understated. Like, it is incredible. He has, like, page-long, like, I don't want to call them rants, but, like, almost like so, like uh, soliloquies, almost. Like, yeah. like, he just, like, goes off for pages at a time. 
Uh, but the way that he looks at the game and the way that he explains it to LeBron is basically LeBron has been handed everything or the, the perception of him at this point is that he's been handed everything. He's been elevated to this chosen one status. He's, he's seen as this super important player in NBA history. It basically what Pat Riley does, he says, well, guess what? you haven't won shit. Like you're, you're, you haven't done anything. He's like, I've coached real guys yeah. that are going to stick around and be timeless individuals. You know, and he's like, you haven't done that yet. And Pat Riley's obsessed with this notion of having to earn it. Yeah. So Pat Riley's whole thing, and you read this book, is like, you have to, there's a very much like a, a cause and effect thing with, you put in the work, you do things correctly, you win, and it is impossible to jump the process. Mm. And if you do jump the process, that's like, somehow the fates are going to come back and get you because it's not legitimate. Mm-hmm. So the when looking at if we're, I'm looking at the cover of this book right now and on the cover there's a picture of LeBron, Kobe, Dirk and Doc Rivers. We've talked about in the Kobe podcast we talked about um, Kobe's unconventional path to the NBA, mm-hmm. the work he puts in with Europe and and going like through all that. I'm thinking about some of those other players of this time like Kevin Garnett for example. Kevin Garnett kind of comes from this podunk town and has to has to work his way up through that so even there was a difference between the previous generation their paths to the nba and their paths to greatness and the glory Mm -hmm. that was different than lebron in this generation our generation quite frankly yeah where lebron has been anointed as the the greatest thing the best player king james ever since he was in high school even earlier than that right same with a lot of these other guys i think pat riley had a legitimate uh, I don't know if disappointment's the right word. Anger, like some, he had like le- resentment. He, resentment's yeah. perfect. He has some real emotions about them not putting in the time and the effort to get it done. So he's when he's talking with LeBron, he's he's talking about like, okay, you, you know, you've been close. I know how to get you to the next level. You're not gonna like it, but I can show you the way. And he right. he, he hard sells him on. Mm-hmm. I think it is you have to give LeBron some credit for taking that on. I don't think I would have felt that in 2010, but if I'm looking back at the time, maybe going to Miami was a more difficult decision than I thought it was in 2010. I I kind of had the opposite reaction reading this book uh in the sense that I think the way that it was explained in the recruitment process and just kind of looking at the other options that were on the table like Miami made the most sense. And Miami was the easy, like I feel like the easiest best decision yeah, like by far. Yeah, it, um so to kind of piggyback off of what you were just saying though, what was your initial reaction in uh that summer of 2010 when LeBron makes that decision? I Oh, I I think I like a lot of the I remember talking shout out to Dehan, I remember talking with him about this. Mm-hmm. Um it I we we resented LeBron for doing that. We saw it as a blight on his legacy. You weren't supposed to do this. Mm. And I think, you know, at this time in in 2010, other things that are going on, um, another big sports figure at that time was Brett Favre. Right. And Brett Favre had just sort of done his thing with the Packers. And I don't know if he's on the Vikings yet, but at Um, the very least had done his thing with the Jets. Yeah, he was on the Vikings at that point. And there's this, this like, okay, what are we, you're not, this is weird. You're not supposed to do this. Like he didn't have like a home. Yeah, in a sense, like to go to. Like, yeah, it's and weird. You're, you're Brett Favre. You are Green Bay, and what is going on here? LeBron, you are Cleveland, and it's not okay for you to be doing this. Right. 
this is a this is like a a moral fault of yours and there will be any championship that you win is going to have an asterisk next to it um you know this kobe never did this even though mm-hmm. we now know that kobe wanted to try this to it, yeah, yeah yeah jordan never did this even though i'm sure jordan wanted to at and times he like he had no reason to leave yeah <laughs> right and but because they these guys hadn't these previous figures had mm. been one team guys for most of their careers or at least the significant parts of their career i think we i saw a guy leaving in his prime as being soft yeah what about you i mean it was it was kind of different for me just because i'm i'm a huge kobe fan um i got my number 8 retro on right now and you know i'm i'm fresh off of kobe winning a title so I'm like, if LeBron wants to go to Miami and like partner up with his pals or whatever, like, fine, we'll see him. Well, oh, you had an arrogance to it. Yeah, because I mean, because like yeah. I said in the beginning of the podcast, I'm like, dude, Kobe's not going anywhere. Kobe's gonna be greater than Michael Jordan. Like, it's gonna he's gonna get that three P. And deep down, what everybody wanted, including myself, was we wanted to see LeBron and Kobe square yes. up. You know, it's like um, was it, Bill Simmons always has the joke about Magic Johnson. And the Lakers not showing up to the 86 finals. Right. Like, we sent the invitations. You guys didn't come. Yep. Like, that's how it felt with LeBron in, oh, in 09 and, and 10. It was like, dude, you Dwight Howard's not supposed to be here. The Celtics aren't supposed to be back here. Even though the Celtics, being the Celtics was, like, sweeter in a sense. Like, that was supposed to be LeBron. It was. Supposed to be Kobe versus LeBron. It's, it was, like, three years in the making. Like, I remember so many different Slam magazine covers yeah. of, like, LeBron and Kobe, like, squaring off. and Remember the Nike Muppets? Yeah, exactly. There was the Muppet, the Most Valuable Puppet campaign. Yeah. Like, this was something in the making of, like, this is what's going to, to save basketball in a sense. It's Kobe Bryant versus LeBron James. This is our Larry versus Magic. This is um, what well, we never got a chance to see with Jordan. It's yeah. the two best going head-to-head. And it's like, if you want to go form your little super team, you can go ahead and do that. Um, I thought it was, like, it was kind of, like, obviously a little cowardly, like, because I was pretty, like, condescending towards it, you yeah. know, even in my, re- like, recap of how I felt. It was definitely a little bit of, you know, oh, wow, like, you can't even, like, you're supposed to be this great player, you yeah. know, like, you're not in... You know, at the time, too, LeBron doesn't have any championships, doesn't have any titles, but LeBron is still the obvious threat to Kobe. You know, so there's uh, there was a natural resentment towards him if you were a Kobe fan. So, yeah, if him running down to Miami to partner up with his little pals, you know, I was one of those people that was like, okay, who cares? That's still Dwayne Wade's team. Yeah. So that, that's where I was at. And that's something that the book points out, too, or kind of covers is that uncomfortable period where LeBron and Wade were trying to kind of figure things out and – you know, it's we can we'll we'll eventually talk about the finals and kind of where Wade played in and everything like that. But as far as like the decision itself, you know, that was yeah, I, I remember watching it. I thought it was kind of pompous and like oh, yeah. you know, just like not necessary. But I watched it. Of course, I watched it. Who who would who miss, didn't yeah, watch it? Exactly. Yeah. Who would miss the opportunity? Yeah. Because it was we knew it was a moment. Even at the time, we knew that something. We didn't realize like what was gonna happen as far as like it being a watershed moment. But we knew that something major was happening. Oh, sure we did. Yeah, so I think it's two different conversations. One about which team he ends up with. And then the second thing that's big is the the PR of mm-hmm. the actual decision and how that happened. And yeah, not only um, not only his selection of the Miami Heat, but just like it, it being on national TV. He doesn't, he doesn't give any heads up to the Cavs before he makes his decision, mm-hmm. leaving them. Uh, 
it's it's a ninety minute. It was a ninety. Yeah, I I forgot how long it was. It was insane. It's honestly it was a farce. Like it was just an embarrassment, kind of. And that's the thing that hasn't aged well. Like no, looking back on it now, like you can defend the de- decision to go to Miami yeah. because it was like, as the book describes, like what else was he going to do? Like he knew he needed to win titles and he wasn't going to happen in Cleveland. No, so he had to do he had to do something. So you can defend that, but yeah, the, as far as the television spectacle that was the decision you can't defend that at all <laughs> I, and i think and we'll get to this conversation when we when we talk about 2018 i think the pr thing of the decision has informed countless players going forward i agree including uh, especially lebron especially lebron especially if you look at yeah his return to cleveland and his going now to the lakers mm-hmm. done complete in a much more let's call it tasteful yeah manner tasteful i like that. definitely definitely um, so one of the major players in this book that I kind of didn't really see in the same sort of light at the time, or I didn't realize, I guess, how involved he was in this in this narrative. But the full title of the Soul of Basketball is the Soul of Basketball: The Epic Showdown Between LeBron, Kobe, Doc, and Dirk that Saved the NBA Basketball. So, you know, there's three of those names that, if you're talking about that season, makes absolute sense why they're involved with saving the NBA. But then there's a fourth guy in there, and Doc Rivers. I'm kind of like, well, wait, well, hang on. How is Doc Agreed. involved in this? Like, like what part does he play? Um, so what was kind of your takeaways from the, the Doc parts of this book? I bec- – well, because what little I, had, I knew about Doc Rivers and, you know, the 2008 season where they win the title, and I know they did the big, like, Ubuntu thing, and they're going to they, – I think they trained in Europe prior yeah, to the season. Yeah, they went to Rome. They that. went to Rome. Yeah. And he, it seems like he, Doc is, Doc brought his team first, old school mentality about things. But I always had thought that it was the players buying into it. And I always would put more of the credit on Garnett, especially for kind of being the caretaker of those things. I didn't, I didn't see Doc as... I was surprised with how influential Doc was because mm. Ian Thompson does a wonderful job of connecting Doc to the past, um, the interactions that he had with Red Auerbach and mm-hmm. um, conversations with former Celtics greats. I didn't realize how much for like the Celtic legacy was involved in Doc Rivers and how much pride he, how much Celtic pride he, he took with that. So in, in that sense, um, I, I appreciated Doc. I'm also a Rondo guy, mm-hmm. so in any Doc Rondo conversation, I'm, a Rondo every time. I'm, I'm, a Rondo, I'm a Rondo defender <laughs> as a Kentucky Wildcat. I'm a Rondo defender, right? Um, but there was a couple. In, There's there an incident or two to make. Basically, does not this book does not treat Rondo well? No, not great. Um, yeah, Rondo's yeah, Rondo's Q rating has not been great the past few years for no, sure. It hasn't. I think with Doc, in a lot of ways too, where he gets kind of credited for is in a in a sense he kind of accidentally gives lebron the blueprint to, or gives miami rather the blueprint for what it takes yes. to, to build a championship yeah. contending team in a sense and um and then it's kind of like it's almost like the story of frankenstein kind of mm-hmm. where this doctor creates this monster and now he's at war with it Ooh, you know it's yeah i just nice thought of that right it's summer i can't think like that right now let's go good for you <laughs> <laughs> let's go but um yeah in a sense now he is he's responsible for kind of 
taking down the monster that he created in, in the Heatles, in the big three, with his own big three. They do spend a good amount of time talking about the... Because you know, where Doc gets a lot of credit, I think, is how um, defense is played in the NBA. Yeah. Because his Celtics, the 2008 Celtics, 0-9-10, etc., and their defensive philosophy. Now, you should give Tibbs some credit for that, I suppose. But, yeah. like, the two, the two of them together. And Garnett, too. You, you, yeah, you got to have, have, the, pl- have the players. Yeah. It's not the X's and the O's. It's the Billy's and the Joe's. Right, right. Shout out Coach Jensen. Right. But, yeah, yeah. Shout, shout out to the guy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, but to your point, though, somebody's got to be, like, the curator of that and the in charge of overseeing its success. Yeah. Doc does. He, he did a great job of doing that. And also, too, there's another aspect of it, too, where – he is a critical part in putting together the big three uh, heat in the sense that he was the roadblock and his team was the roadblock for LeBron leading up to that point. Yeah. Because they played each other, what, two, three times? No, twice between uh, 2008 and 2010. Mm-hmm. So both times the Celtics went to the finals, they had to go through LeBron first. Yeah. And they had to kind of like sun him, kind of like both times, especially in 2010. Um, that was a really ugly exit for LeBron yeah, and the Cavs for a lot of reasons. Um, but yeah, in a sense, this, like what I was saying is Doc is actually like kind of this pivotal part in kind of creating the Miami Big Three in the sense of that's the obstacle. Kind of like how teams are constructing teams, teams themselves to beat the Warriors, beat the Warriors yeah. right now. If, if you're an Eastern Conference team, you need it to get by the Celtics and you need to get by the Lakers once you get by them. Yeah, that that's fair that, that Doc deserves credit for that. And I think his um, his I don't know his, not not as much as X's and O's, but his his philosophy, if you will, I think has lasting effects on the league. Yeah, and and teams that have been successful seem to have created the same Celtic pride. Mm-hmm. And you, you can you can see that in the Warriors, for example, that the the teams that are winning for the most part are these team oriented unselfish yeah, it was basketball a culture to it. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of takes on the culture kind of takes on like a life of its own and definitely that like Ubuntu and like all that stuff that definitely had like its own personality in a sense and it mm-hmm. was like its own entity. Um and the what the book tries to do too is they definitely try to make Doc and Pat Riley kind of like kindred spirits in a sense. They did. I was surprised by that. Yeah. They were actually like obnoxiously similar in a lot of regards yeah. like obnoxiously well and the book goes into like um personality profiles mm-hmm. and how i think the celtics were pi- the celtics are pioneers and using personality tests to determine how well like to understand players and how to communicate with them right so again with like the rondo thing there was a lot of like personality tests about like what you could say to how you should how you should treat Rondo, how you should how you should, should care, coach how you should caretake yeah. to Rondo. And I think that they give Doc some problems cuz I Doc would be someone who, you know, you could kind of go after Garnett or you could go after Paul Pierce right. and da, da 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 and but with Rondo you couldn't. So they were they were pioneers in, in that sense. I was I was surprised by the the putting of Doc like you said he's in the title. Yeah. So that, it, that was a new angle I had not appreciated about those Celtic teams. Yeah, I always saw them as, and I've, I've said this countless times before, but you know, LeBron's career is so much different if he doesn't put up that 45 and 15 on the Celtics in game six 
when they were down 3-1 in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, if he doesn't have that game, like, there's no, like, LeBron as the GOAT argument because he just never gets to that point. Like, he had to have that big moment. And he had to win a title, sure, but he had to do it against that Celtic team. Yeah. He had to exercise that demon in a sense where sure. it's like Jordan had to sweep the Pistons before he was able to keep going on with his career. Yeah. Like, that he needed to have that kind of moment. And you just kind of do forget that Doc is, is instrumental in that sense. And, you know, up until that point, you were talking about defenses and things like that. Nobody had guarded LeBron better than no the one. Celtics. Like, yeah. nobody. Everybody else, like, you know, you can limit him to 30. And that was when LeBron was going ham. He was averaging, like, 30 points a game, 7 assists, 7 rebounds. Just crazy. But the Cel- nobody guarded him better than the Celtics. So, in, in that sense, yeah, Doc, I, I can see now, like – why he gets credited with that. We'll talk about Doc when we jump when we fast forward to 2018 to just kind of where we see with him. Um, the fourth guy on that cover that we haven't got a chance to really talk about yet is Dirk, who was definitely the big winner of 2011. In surprisingly, st- yeah. it's still surprising. It's it's crazy. I was so when during Game Four of this past Finals, I made the comment that. LeBron has had to either beat the Warriors or or play either the Warriors or the Spurs in the finals. And the one time that he didn't, it was against Kevin Durant still. Mm-hmm. So, like, in a sense, he had to beat either Tim Duncan, Kevin Durant, or Steph Curry in the finals. Completely forgetting about Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. Like, completely forgetting about it. How different is Dirk's career and where we see him now if, if he doesn't get over that hump? It's – he's an afterthought. He's a, he's a nice player. And maybe it's because we're not from Dallas or Dallas people where, like, in, they t- in the book they, s- they speak about how Dirk's curating in Dallas is, like, Troy Aikman status. Mm-hmm. Like, Dirk owns the city of Dallas. He is the most popular not-Dallas cowboy yeah. in Dallas. Right. If he doesn't win this, that title validated him. Mm-hmm. That title validates not just him, but it validates international players. Yes, I agree with that a lot. It it validates a whole style of play. It is a that in itself. So the two, the two things this book speaks to as being transformative moments in the NBA mm-hmm. is LeBron's decision to go and Dirk winning the thing. Yeah, and Dirk's decision to stay because he was also stay. a free agent in, sure. that, in that summer, which is something I totally forgot about. Yeah, sure. I totally forgot he was until the the book brought that up. Him. Winning allows like, because he would he would if he had not won he would have been like an afterthought, cute, oh but he's you know soft mm-hmm. NBA player yeah he could score but you know you couldn't trust him in the end yeah there would be that whole narrative right like, I can already hear that narrative in my head but because of him doing that and because he wins the the stretch four really takes off. Mm-hmm. And now that's what everyone has. That's what everyone covets. Like if you don't have a, if anything. you don't yeah. have a Dirk type of player, you're not winning. Mm-hmm. And it'll I think it it opens up a lot of, of trust into other markets. It 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 opens up putting putting your faith in um, European talent in international talent like overall just period. It's so and that's for the growth of the NBA in the next decade, we can have a conversation when we talk about 2018 about where the NBA exists and pertains to other professional sports. Right. Dirk should get a lot of credit for that. 
if he if and if he doesn't this validation that occurred without it yeah it probably happens eventually but it's not happening right now the fact that that season in that moment in that finals is captured in a book makes a lot more sense when you look at Dirk as the perfect foil for not just LeBron but just everything and, and Ian does a, a great job of making this dichotomy you know uh, a true distinction it's this homegrown kid from Akron Ohio that grows up through the system like you said becomes a celebrity when he's like a sophomore in high school yeah and then on the other hand you know he gets he comes straight into the league and is immediately just taking the lead by storm mm-hmm. is immediately um, dubbed the next the chosen one yep that's what he is. On the other side of that, though, is is Dirk, this foreigner, which he, he's called a foreigner so many times in this book. It's definitely like a point he's well, trying Thompson's to hit. doing that on purpose. Yeah, yes. he's trying to hit that point. This is a, a kid from Germany that grew up away from all those all those influences, and he's not tempted by the same things that LeBron is as far as like fame and celebrity and endorsements and branding. And, you know, he kind of, in a sense, this outsider – comes in and is able to beat the homegrown domestic player kind of at his own game, in a sense, by this this idea of the, you know, and, and when you talk about the word soul, which I think is an interesting choice for the book title, there's a lot of associations that come with that as far as, like, purity and, like, the bare essence of something. And in a sense, by Dirk embracing that bare essence that Pat Riley and Doc Rivers and Kobe seem to demonstrate, he's able to not only act as the perfect foil uh, for LeBron, but he actually overcomes him and is able to defeat him in the finals. A lot of narratives spent comparing the not just their decisions, but like how, how they were conducted. Mm-hmm. I think, what was it, Dirk didn't have a press conference thing about his re-signing with Dallas yeah. compared to LeBron's decision. The, they compare their journeys. Um, Dirk basically being homesick and lonely his first part of the time in the NBA. Like Steve Nash and a manager guy are like his two friends yeah. in America. Right. Whereas LeBron is the king of Northeast Ohio. They're... You know, um, LeBron has all these different things handed to him. Dirk is branded, like I said, as being this soft foreigner who you can't rely on in crunch time. Mm-hmm. Thompson definitely compares their two journeys and really tries to make it so that does LeBron learn from Dirk? Does like you, you speak to the word soul. Very clearly, Thompson wants to say that Dirk is what basketball should be. Yeah. Or like how it is meant to be done and for LeBron as a as an active as a um, dynamic character if you will he needs to learn and and see these things around him in order to move forward because this year is a transition year for LeBron this is like almost a step for him right and then he goes forward out of this year you had asked uh before we started recording you had talked about uh Let's say LeBron wins. Yeah, the Heat. The Heat win this finals. What does that do for LeBron's career going forward, both short term and long term? I think yeah, the book definitely. I think the book would argue that it had to be Dirk or somebody like Dirk 
because it, it needed to be a, a humbling experience. And it talks about Dirk's experiences, too, leading up to that point as not only being humbling, but just outright humiliating. You know, they bring up the issues with that the con artist or whatever that was his fiance or, or yes, whatever that was. Right. They bring that up. They bring up the 2007 MVP slash first round bouncing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a big lead up where it talks about all the areas where Dirk had failed. And he was so humbled by all that. And it talks about LeBron's failures too, but definitely in a different type of tone. You know, where it was more of an explanation for why he made the decision rather than, you know, this burning desire to to validate himself. Sort yeah. of. Like LeBron still didn't need to really validate himself at that point. He needed a championship. Yes. Sure. But he didn't need to like you use the word validate. He didn't need to validate himself in the way that Dirk needed no. to. No. So to kind of bat this question back to you, yeah. let's say that Kobe and the Lakers do get their shit together and yeah. they do go to the finals and they beat LeBron. How much different is that than losing to Dirk? It's different. It's um I feel like it's way different. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. How does Cause if one I had forgotten one of the things about the Mavs Heat series that I had forgotten about, but resonated with me at the time in twenty ten was remember when Dirk was sick and then yeah. and Wade and LeBron are like doing their cough like fake, like mm-hmm. but Dirk was actually sick. Yeah. And I just I even remember that episode at the time. It just makes it makes LeBron look like an asshole. Yeah, just like, like a super huge immature. Asshole, yeah, right. Yeah, he doesn't do that to Kobe. No, no. Kobe was the most revered player in the league at that time. Kobe would have assassinated him. Like, oh, Kobe would have. Yeah, Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Kobe would have got Kobe after him. Kobe would have had ninety. Yeah. in that finals. Definitely. So he doesn't. I don't think LeBron learns as much from it. No. It's not as painful of an experience. It's probably just more of like a, mm, to be expected. Yeah. Almost like how maybe the Lakers are treating next year. Right. It's like, okay, we're probably not going to win it next year. Yeah. So if they if they lose, if the Miami Heat-LeBron team of 2011 mm-hmm. loses to that Lakers team, it's probably seen as a step in the journey. Mm, okay, right. LeBron and Wade are learning how to play we together. We knew this was going to be a process. Moral victory, year to year. Mm-hmm. But it was, I think they were they were insulted to lose to Dirk. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron was probably shocked and appalled to, to lose to Dirk. Who's the second best player on that Mavs team? Right. Well, the court, Matrix? Like Jason, Jason Terry made the biggest oh, shots. Yeah. But probably the second most important player on that team it was either Jason Kidd or Tyson Chandler. Probably Tyson Chandler. What a statement. Yeah. No, that team <laughs> that team was a Motley crew, and that was a It's a fascinating Mavs team. Fascinating. They all worked really well together. Fascinating Mavs. That, and, and Thompson and does yep. Thompson does address the importance of how how big that signing of Tyson Chandler was. Mm-hmm. And there's been some BS podcasts in the last few weeks about where Bill is like, "What? How do you not re-sign Tyson after that yep. championship year?" Yep. He essentially won you a championship. Yeah. Well, that's, a. I mean, another water, watershed moment. That's the first time we've ever seen a title-winning team keep their best player and just immediately suck the next year. Like, we've never yeah. seen that happen before. It's weird. It was weird. And, you know, I think if, say, LeBron and the Lakers square off, Kobe beats LeBron, that's more about a coronation of Kobe than it is about LeBron failing to live up to yes. the moment. You know, it's it's kind of the nail in the coffin that like Kobe. That's a sixth title. He that's ties a sixth Jordan. Title, that's Phil's twelfth. Oh, God. Yeah, it's yeah. the second three peat. It's like 
It was almost if you went into the 2011 season, you would expect that to happen. I, we all did. Yeah, it was like okay, yeah, they got the big three in Miami, but like Kobe's still gonna get number six. Yep. You know, where with Dirk, losing to Dirk for sure was. I mean, the the Heat walked into that finals, and nobody thought the Mavericks could win. Nobody could. Like no one thought that. Now, let's say that they stroll into those finals and just smack the Mavericks like they should have and were in a great position to do. Yes. Um, game two is really dissected in this book as being the turning point in the series, and I absolutely agree with that. No question. Because I remember I was watching the game, and it was a blowout, and I left to like go to like a friend's house or something like that. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got to my friend's house, I was thinking the game was over. And then we turned it on, and the Mavericks are, are winning. Like, And you're just kind of like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Like, It was a crazy game, crazy moment. But let's say that they take care of business and they just blow them off the court in game two. LeBron gets coronated as, you know, finally wins that elusive title. Um, subplot, though, D. Wade is, is the finals MVP probably. He was playing well. Wade was incredible in that yeah. finals. But where, where is that? what happens to LeBron, though? Because like, now pretty much like every, like, quote-unquote poor decision that he's making, every immature gesture that he's doing every um pretty much everything that is holding him back from being this guy that we know today all those behaviors gets validated if he wins yes so like what where do you, what do you think happens to lebron if he wins that first one this is all speculation but i don't think you see because lebron i think it's safe to say takes care of his body better than any other professional athlete we've ever had yeah in sports history yeah does he do that i don't know does he does he go back to cleveland i don't know there there's there's does he um i'm, I'm shoot does he go to the lakers this year it's possible. All, all these it's I don't know what it did to him but there is no way you can say that moment didn't affect him it, it, it it's too it's too big of a moment mm-hmm. for his psyche and th- those those heat teams the the next two years especially and then of course the third the fourth year i suppose yeah are just incredible basketball teams and right. their their defense is amazing it's they're, a well-oiled machine yeah, yeah and they're they're probably not going to be as well oiled at that at that moment it what do you think it's it's an i for me it's i i can't you can't clearly say a direct cause and effect anything but i can speculate that it doesn't the the lack of a humbling experience probably doesn't help long term with him yeah i think he yeah i mean i like i said i think the most the most pivotal moment for him for sure was that celtic series the following year and needing to have that huge game six um but if he if he wins, then I don't think he has the the like gear that he needs to to have that sort of game stick. So it's like for some, let's say okay, they win the finals and then everything the next year plays out the exact same way. Backs against the wall against the Celtics, they're down three one. They go into game six like that sense of urgency to jump that next level isn't there. Like right. why would it be? You know what I'm saying? I yep. think it's like completely natural and human to just be like. I mean, I got one. Like, I already got the title. You know, it's like, it'd be nice to beat you, but I don't have to beat you. Whereas in that game six, it's clear, like, LeBron is playing for his entire career. Like, at that point, in that juncture, in that game six. So, 
here's here's an interesting question too. I think the book tries to basically answer with the soul of basketball and how it saved the NBA. Okay. Does LeBron is Le, is LeBron losing what actually saves the NBA? Because how different is the league's perception and their approval rating if Le, if the Heat just go in and just smash that first year? Does that hurt the NBA? I think it helped the NBA. Well, first of all, it helped the NBA that LeBron became a villain. Yeah. It it absolutely okay. helped the NBA. It. Because it, 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 had we seen that before? What do you mean? Like, like, a, like the best player in the league, or one of the best players in the NBA, being as vilified as he was, I, I think it turned the league on its head. Mm-hmm. More so than anything else before. Sure, Kobe was vilified. But but Kobe he, wasn't particularly liked before that. For either. personal reasons. Yes. Not in like a fun sports way. Yeah, the vilification of him was deserved. Yes. Yeah, it was deserved. This, and like I said, like you didn't particularly like Kobe before that, anyways. Right. And LeBron, you know, we say all this. From all accounts, the cleanest dude. Mm-hmm. No, he's either just super great at burying bodies, yes. or he is like actually <laughs> yeah. like the or he's the cleanest, or dude he's the cleanest ever. guy. <laughs> yeah. Sure, You're, I'm gonna marry my high school sweetheart, have like a couple mm-hmm. kids, like hang out, like the, yeah. The, I'm gonna wear dad hats. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm yeah. fun. I I really like it when my son does well in his youth sports game. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah this is an immaculate record. But. Yeah, but he does this like sports turn, and like you said, how the entire league. There was a period of time in this league where everything had to be shifted to trying to stop LeBron and beat LeBron. Mm-hmm. That's where we exist now as an NBA, is the Warriors. Um, and you have all these these teams that basically decided that we're gonna outs- we got to outscore LeBron. Mm-hmm. And we're going to play this pace. And the, 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 I think the modern NBA comes out of LeBron yeah. doing this. The superhuman athlete creature specimen who can do all things and how do you you gotta you gotta beat him by playing a certain way mm-hmm. um if he yeah because the book credits the mavericks and the way they attacked the heat mm-hmm. as being the ones to kind of push the nba towards the yeah pace and space yeah like just get a bunch of shooters out there and just run, get up and down. Kid Berea, mm-hmm. JT, yep. the Jet. Yeah, they 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 certainly did that. Wow. And then you look at the. I think probably the biggest. I think a lot. Dan Tony gets a lot of credit for it. Sure, mm-hmm. and he should. He absolutely should get a lot of credit for it. But for me, the first Spurs Heat Finals, I think, was the true the first like turning point where you really saw. It on like a wide, like on a, a macro scale, as far as teams putting their small forwards yeah. in the forward position. Um, you know, yeah, Shane Battier playing power forward. You yeah. see, after the Mavericks finals, they yeah. try to turn Bosch into Dirk. Yeah, they really did. That's no, like, and I think Bosch actually learned that signature one legged shot that yeah. Dirk does. They, everybody learned it. Sure. Everybody everyone was doing it. that. And everybody did it. But yeah. like, Bosch starts taking threes mm-hmm. after this, like, hey, we're going to spread you out. Yep. No, that's it's um 
So in a sense, I think it is such a impactful season in the sense that we said kind of close the door on a chapter, like you said, kind of like any last remnants of the 90s and that era. Like it was a new NBA once the finals was over. Yes, it was. Because then you go into the lockout the next summer. Mm -hmm. So and that ended up being pretty much the lockout was a direct reaction to the decision. And anything that came out of that CBA was a direct reaction from the decision and, you know, all, all of a sudden, the, like, Rose Bulls are gone. All of a sudden, the Lakers are, as you know them, are gone, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you got the rise of the Thunder. You got the Spurs resurgence. The renaissance of the Spurs. Because, remember, low-key, the Spurs got bounced in the first round to the AC and Memphis Grizzlies in 2011. Yes, they did. So, it's, remember that. Um, and then the Mavericks just never recovered. Never the same after that. Um the Celtics big three splintered and kind of gave birth in a sense like it was like a phoenix where they just burnt out and out the ashes rose you know this Brad Stevens team um, which is somehow even more Celtic-y than Doc Rivers team right. was um, it, it's just a crazy crazy year where a lot of bridges like a lot of a lot of dots were connected and, you know, um, the ghost of Jordan definitely looms in the book as well um, as being kind of this, like, shadowy figure that just kind of hangs over every single decision and how everybody looks at everyone, how players are evaluated and things like that. It's it's a really interesting year, and it's crazy to think that, like, even something as simple as LeBron winning the finals like he was like, supposed to or expected to or Kobe getting to the finals like they were expected to. The, that changes everything. And I do think that the way that it played out, I think it did save the NBA in that sense that what the problems that people had with the league and the talent as far as their attitude toward everything, the way they conduct themselves, this kind of like me era. Yeah. Um, like anybody that wasn't down with that felt validated when Dirk, the underdog, came through yes. and, and won the title. That if, Without that, I don't think... The NBA is where it's at today. And, and that's not even just like as far as the the way the style of change was, the kind of birth of a new generation that came out of it with Durant and Westbrook and Harden and all those guys. And even like Chris Paul, they talk about the, the veto trade uh, and the epilogue and things like that. It, it was, it was just, it, the best way to describe it was a watershed moment in the NBA. And I think it is probably as pivotal of a turning point as Magic and Larry getting drafted, or um, Jordan winning his first title. Like, it's those those turning points and those moments that I think shaped the NBA forever. It was a moment of soul for LeBron to go back to Cleveland mm-hmm. and kind of have his Dirk moment. Yeah, he had won two titles before, but... I, said, I didn't even connect be, that dot, Beating honestly. that Warriors team. That was, that was almost exactly what Dirk was against. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, LeBron against against the world. Yeah. And in like a – because what year was that? 16. Okay, so in a six-year period, LeBron goes from being the evil villain of that finals to mm-hmm. being the hero of that finals. That's I didn't even connect that dot really because, I mean, yeah, that that Cavaliers team was more or less the exact same as the Mavericks, like almost almost to a T. Yeah. Um, definitely have more star power, obviously. But, yeah, like you were saying, it's – is you know there's the the word soul to go back to the title you know there's this the soul of basketball 
that's being protected by Doc and Kobe, is being embodied by Dirk, and is being searched for by LeBron. Yes. So it's like very much like the phrase soul searching, I think, was appropriate for why LeBron went to Miami. And that year was a lot of LeBron trying to figure out who he was, where he fits in. You know, is he really as good as people say he is type of guy? Yes. There's a lot of things going on there. So I think that the soul of basketball is a very appropriate title for this book. Agreed. All right. So any last thoughts before we, we dive into part two? No, I think we've set up, you know, in part two, we're going to look at where the soul of 2018, like where, where, where do we see the soul of basketball as it's manifesting itself in this offseason in 2018? Is LeBron the caretaker of the soul? Um, who, who's, who's upcoming? Where do all these free agent decisions have to do with it? So we'll, we'll take a look at the soul of basketball as it stands here in present day. Definitely. All right. So uh, until next time, this is part one of the epic, most anticipated return. As always, it's dedicated to Pat Janza. We love you, buddy. Salute. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back for part two, motherfuckers.